Well, there you are. Good morning. It's exciting to be uh, together worshiping and celebrating the risen Christ. Amen. I agree. Thank you, all of you who are joining us online and all of you who are physically present at one of our locations. We're so glad that you're here. I want you to grab your Bible, if you will, as we wrap up this series today from the book of Hebrews. I want to ask you to look at one verse from chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, probably one of the best-known verses in this entire letter we call Hebrews, okay? Here's what it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, if that verse is true, then obviously faith is a huge factor if you want a flourishing life both now and in eternity. So let me me ask you today on this Resurrection Sunday morning, how would you characterize yourself? I know we're in all different places on our journey, all different mindsets, worldviews, beliefs, Would you call yourself a person of faith? One of the heroes of the faith over the last 200 years is a man named George Mueller. In some circles, if you just mention his name, he is sort of synonymous with a life of faith. He lived in the 19th century in England And when you read about his life, it's almost like reading a page out of the book of Acts, because God showed up in miraculous ways time and time again in his life and ministry. By God's grace, he was able to raise millions of pounds to support the orphanages that he started and all of the worldwide missionary work that he oversaw. God came through miraculously time and time again for George Mueller. There's a lot of great biographies of his life, but one that I enjoy is by Roger Steer. It's called George Mueller, Delighted in God. And I want to read a brief section today. It's on page 177 in my copy of this biography. And it's a time where Mueller and his wife were on a ship headed to Quebec. Although the Atlantic was rough, the ship remained on schedule until running into thick fog off Newfoundland. Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. It is impossible, said the captain. Very well, said Mueller. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement in 52 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. Captain Dutton wondered which lunatic asylum Mueller had escaped from. Mr. Mueller, he said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, my eye is not on the density of the fog but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. Mueller knelt and prayed simply. When he had finished, the captain was about to pray, but Mueller put his hand on his shoulder. 
do not pray. First, you don't believe he will answer. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. Captain Dutton looked at Mueller in amazement. Captain Mueller continued, I've known my Lord for 52 years, and there's never been a single day that I've failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. The captain walked across to the door and opened it. The fog had lifted. And he goes on to describe how the captain apparently shared this story many, many times through the years because it made such a profound spiritual impact in his own devotion to God. I love that line. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God. George Mueller could say that with confidence. The question is, can we? Now, as you know, we're here today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And boy, I tell you, whoever you are, wherever your journey has taken you, if there's one thing I would want you to take away today, I suppose it would be this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the biggest game changer in history. I would just want you to know that, and I would want you to take it away. That's what we believe. It's like that old song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, and life is worth the living just because he lives. But I want you to know, what we celebrate today is more than just looking to the past in history. That's important. Jesus did amazing things in the past. But it's not just about the past, it's about the future. Because here's something else we believe. We believe this same risen Lord Jesus Christ is going to return one day in the future. No, that's not some wild hair, lunatic fringe belief. That's what Jesus himself taught. That's what all the great historic creeds of the faith have affirmed, that one day, and no one knows exactly when except the Father, one day this risen victorious Christ will return in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's what we believe. And I am super stoked up and excited about that. So here's what I'm saying. This gospel that we proclaim, this firm foundation that we have in Christ is rooted historically in real life events of the past, but watch this, it's also tethered securely to future hope. The past and the future, the past and the future. But what about today? You see, that's what I want to talk with you about. Because I'm curious, I am so inquisitive about where you are today in your own faith journey. The verse we read just a moment ago says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Any woman or man who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that? As we stand here today between the past and the future, here's the deal. We're called to live by faith today. Now, I want to tell you something. That's easy to say, but it's pretty hard to live. It's harder than it sounds to live by faith. And here's why. Because we can find ourselves pretty quickly in some foggy circumstances, can't we? Sickness, relational conflict, a worldwide pandemic, for God's sake, financial hardship, gripping anxiety, fear, doubt, and suddenly it's like this dense fog has settled in over our lives, and we're worried and wondering, are we ever going to get to our destination? So here's what I want to highlight today for those of you who would say, I'm a genuine person of faith. What do I need to know? What do I need to take away from the book of Hebrews that we've spent all these weeks studying? I'm going to dare to simplify it with three principles that we can take away from this book that are absolutely worth your consideration. Here they are. Principle number one, the most important thing about genuine faith is its object. I hope you will remember that. Sometimes I'll hear people say, keep the faith, sister. Just keep the faith, brother. Or somebody's going through a hard time and, and, and someone's trying to encourage them. They go, now, now listen, listen, just have faith. Oh, I appreciate those statements so much. But I sometimes, when I hear those kind of things, I want to go, in what? Faith in what? Because listen, if you have faith in someone or something that is not worthy of your faith, you are simply being foolish. Every year around this time, when things are beginning to warm up in the capital region in this part of the world, after we've had a especially after we've had a hard winter, if we have. This one was pretty mild. But I see people walking out on the ice on these lakes that have been frozen over for a long time. And I see people walking around on these ice-covered lakes, and I have this thought every single year whenever I see somebody walking out there on a warm day. Here's my thought. Is there faith in the right object? I mean, is that ice worthy of their faith? And sure enough, just about every year, you hear one or more stories about people who've perished by falling through the ice because the object of their faith wasn't worthy of their faith. So here, here's what I want you to get. First of all, first takeaway, all these folks that we've been hearing about in this book over these weeks, Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Joseph and, and the very first people who received this letter to begin with, they did not have faith in faith itself. If you walked up to them and said, hey, brother, sister, what is your faith in? They would not go, oh, just blind chance. I've just kind of got this optimism. Everything's going to work out. No, 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 no. Their faith was in the God revealed in Scripture. 
Their faith was in the living God who had proven himself faithful in their lives by showing up. And here's my question for you. Those of you listening online, those of you present in worship, physically, is that who your faith is in today? Is it in the God revealed in Scripture? Is it it in the God who has changed hundreds and hundreds of lives in this particular local church and thousands of others across the world? That's the God we're talking about. He's the one who's worthy as the object of your faith. But quickly, there's a second principle I would want you to take away from our study, and here it is. Genuine faith will inevitably be tested. It will be. I hope your seatbelt's buckled. I hope it doesn't surprise you when as a genuine person of faith, wow, your faith gets tested. It happened to all the folks we've been reading about, didn't it? I mean, some of the original recipients of this, they were having their houses taken away from them. They were being thrown into prison. They were being severely persecuted. You talk about a test of faith. And my question is, whatever form that test comes in for you, are you ready? Oh, oh, brothers and sisters, I hope you are, because we're going to receive tests of our faith on a somewhat regular basis. Perhaps you've, perhaps you've heard that old story. It's, it's probably not true, to be honest, but boy, it certainly makes the point. It was a summer day. And a man was up on the roof of his three-story house replacing some shingles, some roofing shingles that had blown away. And suddenly he stumbles and he begins to fall down the roof and he's going over the edge. And at the very last moment, he, he catches a hold of the gutter and thankfully it holds secure. And there he is. There he is. No ladder, no way out of this, he's just suspended there, hanging on three stories up. Wow. He tries to stay calm. He looks down quickly and yells, anybody down there? Help, anybody down there? Nothing, no answer. He yells two or three more times, no answer. Then he looks up and says, well, is anybody up there? And a voice comes out of heaven and says, yes, my son, I am here. Trust me. And let go. Is anybody else up there? (laughs) Now, I doubt if that happened, but boy, it sure makes the proverbial application, doesn't it? Because that happens to us all the time. We open up the word of God and we read things like this. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up. And we go, anybody else up there? God obviously doesn't know how much people irritate me, or he wouldn't say silly things like that in the Bible. Or we open up the word of God, and it it says to us who are working, it says, look, you need to, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. And we go, anybody else up there? Obviously, God's never met my boss. 
He doesn't know how obnoxious she is. He doesn't know how demanding he can be and insensitive. Or we read, let marriage be held in honor of, among all. Be faithful to your spouse and the covenant you've made. And we go, oh, well, obviously, God doesn't understand my marriage. Anybody else got a word? Or we read, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, that it will go well with you. And we think, well, clearly, God doesn't have to live with my parents or he wouldn't say that. Anybody else up there? Or read, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring, it, bring them up in the nourishment, the encouragement of the Lord and the training of the Lord. I go, does God have a clue how much time that would take if I did that? Anybody else up there? Oh, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Practical tests of your faith are going to happen on a regular basis. Some will be dramatic. Some will be minor. But the question is, are you going to be ready? Because genuine faith is not a walk in the park, folks. It's not just hoping you get washed up on the shores of heaven one day. It is a race. It is a battle. It is a fight to the finish line. You've got to be ready. But here's one final thing I'd want you to take away on this resurrection morning. Here it is. Genuine faith will ultimately be vindicated. You know, a lot of people are wondering this today. It's a question, I think, on the minds of a lot of people. Is it worth it to believe? Is it, is it worth it to have faith? I mean, woo! Things didn't go real well for the folks here in these pages. We've been studying all about that. Their lives were hard. I mean, does God come through for people who have faith in him? Boy, it sure doesn't seem that way at first. A number of years ago, five young men were down in the Ecuadorian jungle. Their names were Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, and Roger Udarian. They were there for the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, with a, a native tribe that had never heard of him. In fact, as far as they knew, this tribe had never been in contact with, with anyone that was of European descent ethnically, okay? And so they'd done all their homework, they'd made their initial contacts, and now they were ready to actually go in fly in in a light aircraft, and land on the only landing space they had, which was a narrow sandbar right along the river. The experienced pilot among them, Nate Saint was his name, said, look, guys, if that sand is soft, our wheels are going to dig in, and we may end up sort of crashing, or we may even end up on our back, the plane broken, and we'll have no way out. They knew the risk was great. They also knew that this particular tribe had a reputation of being very hostile with neighboring tribes, and so the risk was real. 
And so the night before they embarked into the jungle, they met together and sang, we rest on thee, our shield and our defender. It's a great hymn. And they sang it robustly with faith in God. It's taken right out of Psalm 91. And they read Psalm 91 together out loud, which talks about resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And the next morning, January 8, 1956, they embarked. They said goodbye to their wives and children and flew out in their small plane. Now, at 4.30 that day, they were supposed to make a contact to give an update. But 4.30 came and went with no word from these young missionaries. There was not a single crackle to break the dreadful silence on the radio. A few days later, all five of their bodies were found, filled with spears, floating in the water, every one of them martyred for the cause of Christ. Wow. Does God let his people down? I mean, come on. Come on. They went into that so full of faith and confidence, their eyes were firmly fixed on God and his glory. You say, Pastor Rex, God let them down. You know, maybe their widows ought to speak to that. For shortly after that massacre, the widows went in with the children who had lost their fathers, and, and these women became the means of taking the gospel of Christ to the very men who had murdered their husbands. And today, by God's amazing grace, there is a flourishing church among the Aka Indians of Ecuador. In fact, they're sending missionaries around the world. And just after that first Aka Indian prayed to receive Christ through the witness of those widowed women up in heaven, just my imagination, this is the scene I like to imagine unfolded. After the first person came to Christ from that tribe, I like to imagine the Lord Jesus with a smile turned to Jim and Pete and Ed and Nate and Roger and said, great job, guys. Mission accomplished. Genuine faith will always ultimately be vindicated even if it takes heaven to do it. My eye is not on the density of the fog because I have a God who will get me to my destination. Could we pray together, please? On this resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate the power that raised Jesus from the dead, when we acknowledge that you, God the Father, raised Jesus from the dead, and we celebrate that truth our resurrected Lord. I want to pray specifically for so many listening right now whose eyes, if we're being honest, is on the density of the fog because their life has encountered some foggy circumstances. Whew, it's hard. And their eyes are on those problems, those difficulties, and they're wondering, will I ever get to my destination? I can't see beyond this. 
It's overwhelming me. In fact, I feel, I feel suffocated. That's the word. I feel suffocated by all this pressure and anxiety. May this be a day where the fog breaks. Not because they pulled themselves out of it, but because by your grace, they fix their eyes on the risen Lord Jesus. And the very power that raised Jesus from the dead shows up in their life and gives them the perseverance and the tenacity to keep putting one foot in front of the other. God, I thank you that your people are always ultimately vindicated, even when it takes heaven to do it. Oh, we're so grateful today that you have not left us orphans, that you have come to be with us and as you give us the strength, we will keep on celebrating you, the resurrected, victorious Lord. Oh, give us breath to speak it. Give us breath to sing it. Give us breath to keep praising your name in these days, no matter how dense the fog may be, because you've given us eyes to see beyond the fog. Hallelujah. And so we keep on worshiping you this day, and we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah.